Hi, everybody. My name is Jared Milrad. I'm the founder of Movie Karma, and we created our podcast, Rewriting Hollywood, which uh, focuses on inclusion, equity, representation, and social impact in Hollywood. Uh, and today we have a special guest who's certainly using the power of storytelling uh, to, to have a positive impact on the world. Uh, her name is Susanna Mirgani. Uh, she's the writer, director, and producer of a powerful coming-of-age drama, a short film called Al Sit, uh, which touches, touches on arranged marriage, child marriage, um, as well as women's empowerments around the world, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so really excited to talk to Susanna today about her film and, and much more. Uh, Susanna, thanks so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you on. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. And I know you're joining all the way from uh, Qatar and, and, uh, and excited to talk about a lot of the issues in the film uh, connected to that part of the world. But first off, uh, this, this film has won an incredible amount of awards. Uh, I know it's a triple Oscar qualifier, so it will be well positioned, hopefully, to, to be nominated for the uh, 2022 uh, Academy Awards in live action shorts, which is really exciting. Um, and it's won, of course, many, many awards at many festivals. But to back up for a second, you, uh, Susanna, you're a writer, you're a researcher, you're obviously an indie filmmaker, and I understand you have a media studies and museum studies background. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that journey? How did you come into independent filmmaking and what you know, inspired you to, to do that work? Yeah, well, uh, I studied uh, media in general because, you know, we grow up, most of us grow up loving film, loving cinema, and then wanting to do something more with that. Uh, so I took a degree in communications, media studies, and filmmaking was a component, but it's not really something that I took seriously until I uh, came back to Qatar and the Doha Film Institute uh, is something that we have in Qatar that is really a one-stop shop for a filmmaker because it teaches you everything you need to know. They have multiple workshops, camera, lighting, acting, directing, you name it. So you go in one end, I like to call it a conveyor belt because you go in one end as a doe-eyed, innocent, you know, I don't know anything about filmmaking. And by the time they're done with you, you come out as a bona fide uh, filmmaker having done all of these workshops. Uh, so it was really through the Doha Film Institute that I um, I learned the craft and uh, through them that I got the grant to go to Sudan and shoot this film. Fascinating. Uh, that's actually really interesting that there is that that um, program in Doha, in that institute, because I think that's something a lot of times, you know, folks who are especially underrepresented filmmakers lack access to. Um, did you have mentors while you were at the Institute or folks that encouraged you to say, hey, this could be something you could be really good at and you should, you should stick to it? Absolutely, yes. Uh, we, have, uh, we have some great mentors from all over the world, but also from the region. You know, it's uh, people from the Arab world, people from the Middle East. Uh, my mentor, uh, one, of, one of whom was uh, Anne-Marie Jasser, she's a, a Palestinian filmmaker. And so you really get in touch with uh, uh, professionals in the industry and people who uh, really encourage you to, you know, go forward and make your film, even though I've never, I, I had never shot a film in Sudan before. And we don't really have a film industry in Sudan, um, but this was a really 
nice way of working with the professionals in Sudan. Even though we don't have a film industry, we have highly professional crew. So they work on commercials. And as you know, with commercials, you know, it's a very precise kind of uh, industry. Uh, so they're, you know, they, they work very quickly, they work very fast, they know exactly what they're doing, uh, but they don't normally work on cinema. So uh, this was a nice experience for all of us. Mm, that's fascinating. I want to talk a lot about that. I understand your, your background is really interesting as well. You're mixed, uh, mixed Sudanese and Russian heritage. Um, and I understand, you know, you're interested in stories of, of identity and the complexities of identity. Uh, we'd love to hear more about that, if you could share, uh, Suzanne, in terms of how identity infuses or impacts your work and, uh, you know, the types of stories you want to tell. Yeah, well, uh, mixed race and my parents come from two completely different countries that really don't have much to do with each other. Um, but uh, what I what I like what I like about this uh, growing up in this di diversity of cultures, the diversity of identity, is that I'm always able to take a step back. I'm always able to say, okay, let's uh, let's take a step back and let's look at this culture critically because you don't you don't have to subscribe as fully, and you can you know you can you can see things through a different lens. So I, I think that's what it uh, what I was able to gain growing up, uh, speaking different languages and having different perspectives, celebrating different uh, um, cultures as well. Right, and I imagine you know as I talk to people who are of mixed heritage, mixed race backgrounds, um, you know I'm someone who is fully one uh, fully Jewish, one ethnicity, right? <laughs> fully American. So I I, I can't connect to those. To, to a lot of those pieces in terms of sometimes folks talk about, hey, this was great. Uh, we were able to do these different holidays and different cultural celebrations. Uh, but what I can imagine is also just that tension that you, you know, you, you might have felt because you're, especially you said two countries, two parts of the world that often don't come in the mm -hmm. same sentence. So like, what was that like in terms of finding your place, finding your friends, finding your, your identity? still looking for it yeah. <laughs> you know i think I, I think it's the same with all of us i think even if you come from one culture and one background i think you still have questions of who am i at different points in my life what am i studying what do i want to be where am i working so i think questions of identity aren't necessarily just about nationality but it's also about your age your position in life, your socioeconomic status so all of those things come into play and we're all always looking Right, always searching, always evolving on that question. Uh, that's interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit, uh, Suzanne, if we can, about your film, Alstead. Uh, so it's it had a chance to screen it. It's a really powerful film. It, it, to your point earlier, it's not something that we, it's not a part of the world we see on screen a lot. Uh, I had a friend um, by the name of Brian Buckley who's who's done great work. Uh, he's American, but he's done some really interesting work in that part of the world, uh, both in the docu space and, and narrative space. But other than you know him and maybe some other filmmakers that folks have heard of, there, there are not a lot of projects shot there, made there. So talk a little about just the origin, if you would, of this project and why you felt like it was important to work with, I know you worked with a lot of first-time actors, shot in Sudan, talk, talk a little about why that was important. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Sudan does not have a film industry. We had a, uh, 
a military government for a very long time, for 30 years, that didn't encourage uh, the arts and didn't encourage uh, expression, creative expression. So there were films that came out of Sudan at the time, but under great duress, like these filmmakers really had to fight and go against the grain to get these film made, uh, films made. And they turned out to be absolutely beautiful. Uh, we had our first um, Oscar, what is the word, for the country. So the country submitted uh, to the Oscars the very, mm-hmm. very first Sudanese film ever, you know, in the history of Sudanese filmmaking. Um, so we did have some very powerful films that came out uh, that was called You Will Die at 20 um, and had Juj Kuka's films. We have some great things, but they had to fight for it so hard. And then in 2019, we had a revolution and then we had a civilian um, partnership government that encouraged filmmaking. And this is where I was like, oh, this is my time. This is the perfect time to go to Sudan to shoot the film. And it really was, everyone was elated and excited for the future. And then the arts really became this thing that people wanted to get involved in and something that you could actually, you know, maybe think of as a career. Um, so that's why for the young actors, none of them are actors. These are all first time actors. We cannot find young actors at all. Um, so we had to audition. So we got the, uh, our young actors through, through auditions and the older actors are all uh, stage actors. They work for the theater. Interesting. So what was that like as you were working you know, through those auditions and starting to narrow down if we wanted with these first time actors? And, uh, you know, what, what were some of those challenges and I'm sure also just pleasures of, you know, finding these young folks who really came to life on screen. Yeah, for, for Nafisa's character, which is the young girl, the main protagonist, uh, we only got five candidates for, uh, to audition, only five candidates because, you know, acting and filmmaking is not something that is uh, available or encouraged. So we got very few people who are supported by their families and they came with their parents. And it was really nice to see that the parents were encouraging the young girls uh, into filmmaking or into acting. Uh, And for the young men, we got lots of young men to come and audition, you know, because this is, you know, this is their time, they're in their prime, you know, they have Hollywood in their eyes, they're, you know, they're, they're really as aspiring to that. Uh, so that was really interesting. And I think it tells you about the gender difference in the country because you know we only get five girls and yet we get a hundred guys. So that already tells you something about the, the, the situation. Yeah, it does. And of course it's, it connects to the themes of the, of the film uh, in, in, in a really direct way. Um, I actually just spent some time in, uh, in Uganda and, and Tanzania, and I was struck by even just talking to, for example, Ugandans about, you know, hey, there's South Sudan to the north, but there's a lot of, you know, a kind of unrest, like we don't, we're not really sure if we should, we don't want to go there. There's sort of a kind of, a, 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 of some fear elements and kind of some uncertainty about what will that country become and what will Sudan itself become, to your point earlier about all the changes that have happened there. What are, what, what was that like too, like starting to, okay, we're going to film in Sudan and amidst all these political issues that are happening? Yeah, well, at the time, uh, it was after a revolution, and we actually were in a very honeymoon period for the country, because everyone was happy and enthusiastic and thinking about a new Sudan. Um, And then I don't know if you've seen the news in the last uh, few weeks, but three weeks ago, there was a military coup takeover of the country again. 
So now we're all asking ourselves again the question, what is the country going to be like? What is, what is it going to become? What is going to happen to the arts? Um, but the people are protesting, they're on the streets, they're not taking this lying down. Right, I know there was there was kind of a honeymoon phase, wasn't there? The Peace Prize and, and sort of a lot of excitement about new leadership and a more peaceful future. And now it's now it seems like it's 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 back where yeah. you know, or maybe worse off to your point uh, than what, what, where it was. Um, let's talk a little bit more about about some of the issues in the film. Um, the film touches on issues of obviously arranged marriage. I mean, it's essentially child marriage um, with the story of Nafisa as a teenage girl in a Sudanese village who, despite having a crush on someone else who's around her age, is facing this essentially arranged marriage structure. And her grandmother, um, known as Alcid, is is planning for her for for Nafisa's future. Um, how did how did that structure of the story come to life? Was it based on I'm sure many true stories, or did you? you talk with the actors about, hey, tell me some of your own experiences with this issue, how did that emerge? Yeah, so uh, arranged marriages are very common in our part of the world, uh, in Asia and in Africa and in, and in the Arab world as well. Uh, and it's not that the entire family uh, structure goes through this or the entire country goes through this, but there are certain families that have a very traditional, uh, very conservative way of bringing up uh, their children. and. What I always like to say is that this is not a black and white. This is a complex issue where the family really want the best for the their daughters. You know, they really they're it, it's coming from a place of love and it's coming from a place of protection. But sometimes what they forget is that the person that they're most trying to protect is the person that you know gets the least benefit out of this situation because they don't have a say. Uh, normally they're supposed to have a say, but as we know, 15 year old girls cannot normally stand up to their parents and to their grandparents. Um, and then what I like about uh, this particular situation is that El Cid is also this power holder and a matriarch in a very patriarchal society, but she also wants freedom for her granddaughter, but through a very kind of crooked way, right. um, through her own arranging uh, of her future. Right, and not to give too much away, but that, that is a really interesting element in terms of how Alcid sees this working out well for her daughter in terms of, in terms of freedom. Um, I really loved how you shared that showed us the complexity, not only of, you know, we talked about identity, but also just of this, of this situation that many, many young people face, young girls strictly face around the world. I understand UNICEF estimates about 21% of young women living today were married before their 18th birthday, 12 million uh, girls under 18 are married each year, and about 37% uh, of young women in sub-Saharan Africa are married before 18. Why do you think it's particularly common in, in this region? And what are, can you talk a little bit more about some of those complexities, like some of the economic considerations, religious considerations and other things that the families are, are thinking about? Well, that, that, that's exactly I, uh, the point is that I think it's, uh, it's a socioeconomic situation. It uh, depends on education. If a girl doesn't, uh, isn't encouraged to go into higher education, then, you know, then the other option is family and uh, getting married. So it is a question of education. It is a question of socioeconomics, uh, but it's also not um, across the entire country. So in Sudan, we have many different types of uh, family structures, many different types of ways of, of looking at arranged marriages. And I think uh, 
hopefully by putting yourself in the shoes of my protagonist, you will, you know, come to feel how she feels or understand what she is going through as well. Right. Yeah. No, you have to get a perspective of Nafisa's struggles, but I think also why in some ways, you know, is she intrigued by this idea, like her, because in part of what her grandmother tells her, um, how did you think about that perspective on, on that point of sort of like, okay, putting the audience in her, in Nafisa's shoes as a, as a, as a teenage girl and, you know, navigating some of the complexities of this. It's not, as you said, just a black and white thing, especially if you're in her shoes. Exactly, yeah. And uh, she doesn't speak. A lot of people did, don't notice that she doesn't say a single word throughout right. the whole film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she is she is like us. She is a spectator. She is an audience member, literally watching her own life unfold on screen. Um, and I just found that to be an interesting situation where everyone is talking about you and yet you are on the margins of, the, of these conversations. Um, but hopefully by the end of the film, uh, you know, she, um, she, she stands up for herself at least. Right, she does, she, she finds a way to. Um, it, it is interesting that, no, you know, in the film, the way you structure it as well, like no one really asks her, what, what do you want? You know, what do you want to be? What do you, who do you want to be with? Um, I, I wonder, as you were talking even to the, some of the actors, like, like the actor who played Nafisa, did you, you know, did that did that come up in, it, it, for them, especially as she was like preparing for the role and sort of thinking about her own, her own cultural experiences with this issue or friends that have gone through something like this? Like, did it affect or transform her? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we ha we had these conversations, but it's it's I guess in the Sudanese context, it's not as uh, black and white. You know, it's not as um, uh, it's not this issue. You know, it's like uh, would I would I want to choose someone for myself? Was well, she saying, "Well, I'm 15"? Like, I wouldn't want to. You know, at this moment in my life, I wouldn't even be thinking of this mm. question. So it's a it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult question to to even ask her um, because it's like let me think about that when I'm eighteen maybe. Right, I'm not even ready to make that that decision. Um, yeah, that's really fascinating. And and uh, in terms of the impact of the film, I'm wondering what the response has been. I mean, even in Sudan itself or of that that region, since you're you're sitting in the surrounding yeah. countries. What is the response been there and more globally? And like, is it, is it, you know, is it kind of, is it, is the response kind of black and white, depending on where people are from and what their cultural background is? Well, the interesting thing is that this film has screened all over the world and it has won all the awards that you just mentioned. And I should just mention last night it won uh, the best short at New Orleans. So that's the fourth. Oh, congrats. Oh my gosh. <laughs> fourth qualifier. Fourth Oscar qualifier. So it's screened all over the world, but it has not screened in Sudan. And the reason for that is because we do not have screening opportunities. We do not have film festivals. We have one, now we have two film festivals that were shut down because of Corona. Um, and we do not have uh, screening venues. So in reality, this film has not actually screened in Sudan. Uh, but there are Sudanese communities all over the world. So Sudanese communities have seen it. And my hope was to bring it back home to Sudan in January, which is when we have a film festival. But uh, this military coup took over three weeks ago and we don't know what's gonna happen. Mm. 
That's uh, yeah, frightening. I know there are many Sudanese American communities. I'm sure they've they've had a chance to hopefully see it. Um, do you, do you find the reaction has been uh, among Sudanese? You know, the Sudanese diaspora has it been you know different depending where folks are living and where they immigrated to, or like what has that been like? It's it's actually been really overwhelmingly positive. I've got a lot of lot of positive uh, uh, reactions from it. But I will say that there's this song in the end, and it's a very popular traditional Sudanese girl song. Um, and because it plays at the end, right up to the credits, usually if there is Sudanese people in the theater, they will sing that song all the way out to the street. Oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> That's awesome. No, yeah. it's, it's a really nice song too. I mean, I didn't know that, that, that part of that heritage of it, but that's really yeah. cool. I've uh, received some videos of just audience members singing in the street. It's so heartwarming. That's really cool. And I'm sure there, there might, must be a craving, I would imagine, for more content from this, from, you know, from Sudan and, and with Sudanese yeah. actors and stories like this. Definitely, absolutely. I mean, we we really have not seen ourselves on screen that many times, and we haven't seen the various stories that are possible. So mm -hmm. we do have some great films out of Sudan, and we're hoping for more. Yeah, I I love that, and it's cool that you you did you you were part of that uh, part of that renaissance in a sense. Um, what, what do you feel like is the future of, of Sudan more broadly in terms of given, you know, the, as you said, the coup, the political issues there, um, a lot of the economic challenges that folks faced there, uh, it, you know, it does always seem like Sudan is in the news for not the, not the best reasons historically, especially in the U.S., which speaks maybe to the biases of the American media as well. But um, what, do you, what do you think is the future and, and are you hopeful about um, some of these creative you know, art, artists emerging? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you can't stop the people, you can't stop the artists. People are still producing, the cartoonists, the writers, you know, they're out on the street doing uh, the graffiti. Obviously, the filmmaking is a little bit more challenging because you need that organization and you need that time and you need that space. So for me, that is a real worry. And uh, I have a feature film on the cards that I'm supposed to shoot in Sudan next year called Cotton Queen. And I'm really just hoping that this doesn't spell the end uh, as it used to. Uh, there was censorship, there was all kinds of uh, government oversight. So I'm, people are hopeful. People are hopeful, even though this is an extremely dire situation, they are not stopping. They're out on the streets protesting and people are still working on their art. Hmm. That's incredible uh, and hopeful, despite all that's happening. Talk a little bit more, if you would, about your next projects. So I understand you have this feature in the works, uh, which sounds fascinating. And, and is it connected at all to this to this plot line? And if so, tell us a little more about where you think it, it is. <laughs> Indeed. So El Cid was a proof of concept. So when I started writing the script for El Cid, it became a feature and I wasn't prepared at the time. This is about four or five years ago. I was not prepared to make a feature film uh, in Sudan, which I had never shot in in the first place. So I thought, OK, let me do something manageable, something I can work with my family, my friends, gather the funds and do something uh, that that is possible. So that's what we did. We made a short and we were hoping that uh, people would like it enough to give us more funding and, you know, make more connections for the feature, I hope. 
Yeah, I know. I hope so too. And obviously with all the attention and awards you've gotten, I hope, I hope that helps as well. Um, I was going to ask then about the issue of inclusion before we move to close in a few minutes here, uh, but you know, it's specifically this notion as we like to call it rewrite of rewriting Hollywood, right? How do we kind of reimagine what Hollywood looks like, you know, the representation on screen, which you talked about earlier opportunities for folks to get to, to make projects. Um, to be in projects. How do you think about that issue of, of changing and transforming Hollywood to be more equitable, inclusive? And what are the steps you think we need to make to get there? Absolutely. You know, in a weird kind of way, I think a lot can be learned from uh, the, the Sudanese, the upcoming Sudanese film industry, which is because we don't have that structure, there's a lot of opportunities to say, this is how we want it. This is, we want to include a lot more women. We want to include um, people, women especially in the Sudanese case, because this is not a career uh, option normally for, for women. So, uh, so on my set, we had lots of women behind the camera, in front of the camera, in decision-making positions, as funders. So I think uh, in, a, in a strange reversal, uh, there's a lot to be learned from the Sudanese experience. That's fascinating because it is, as you said, a new, a kind of a new industry, a nascent industry that that is, is possible. We definitely talk a lot about and, want, and work on the issue of, in, you know, the US and, and the UK or places where they have these historic industries that are, you know, exclusionary historically and are you know male dominated that you kind of do need to reinvent the entire structure don't you to to get to get to where we want to go absolutely um great well i wanted to just close uh you know something we call our rapid fire rounds um so this is just quick questions that uh uh want to see what pops to mind uh <laughs> lighter things so no pressure um the first question we have for you is if you could share um, a habit or a ritual that you do to get to get in a creative mindset or mode, like what do you do to get to get ready for for like shooting this type of projects? Oh, well, it's really horrible, but I wake up at 4 a.m. I wake up at 4 a.m. I'm so excited to get things done is that if I'm working on a project, it's always 4 a.m. call for myself. Wow, that's that is early. That's like, so that's exciting. I, I relate to that. I think getting ready to be on set and being on set is the most incredible thing. Um, uh, if you could travel back in time uh, and share a meal with somebody uh, in any time period, who would you want to share a meal with, and and what would you, you know, what would you talk about? Okay, well, don't tell my husband, but it would be Humphrey Bogart. Ooh, okay, that's a good answer. I won't tell him. I'm sure he's not. He's not listening, so don't worry about it. Um, and then the last question: If you could travel back to when you were growing up, Zana, who would you know to to you at that age? What would you tell yourself? Um, you know, if you could tell yourself one thing at that time. Oh wow! Okay, that's a harder one. Uh, but I would probably say study harder. I like that. <laughs> at the time, I was yeah, I was I wasn't I wasn't great at school, but uh, I mean, didn't hurt me none. But I would say actually, you know what? Stop, stop what you're doing. Stop, stop watching too many films and maybe study a little bit more. Ah, I love that. Okay, so so watching films maybe your you know excuse you're kind of studying not not as much as you would like to. <laughs> 
Interesting. Um, well, again, Susanna, this was really great. Uh, and, and congratulations to all success. Again, our guest today, Susanna Mergani, writer, director, producer of the award-winning film, Offset, and it is now Oscar qualified four times over, I believe. So uh, hopefully the Academy will take notice and, and, uh, and, and support the film. But if not, I hope everyone does have a chance to see it and, and best wishes too with your, your future uh, efforts as you get ready for, the, for that next film. So thanks Thank again for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thank you.